All right. I don't do this for anybody else, but I'll do it for you. Do you consent to be recorded and all that shit? <laughs> no, I do not. You may not use this audio. Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> Welcome to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people. Hello, everybody. Christopher Talon here, host of Creative Ops, maker of all the music, and author of a fantastic little sci-fi novel called Switchers, about kids in 1996 who get stuck in a time travel war against their adult selves, and when they time travel, they switch bodies. Switchers. (laughs) Link in bio. All right, everybody. I have Jody Sperling on the show today. He's been on here before, and I've been on his podcast before, but when he was on this one before, he was here with Kenny McKay, and they were talking specifically about marketing. This time, we're talking more about writing, because Jody has a couple of books out now. He's got the seven-figure mindset for uh, the writer's seven... uh, I'll edit it in post, or maybe I won't. He's got a book about marketing books, and then he's also got a couple of novels out. So we're talking about those novels that he's got out there now. I uh, just finished reading The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi, and it is fantastic. I highly recommend. I believe there's also audiobooks out or coming out soon. Uh, anyway, go to Jody's website, jodyjsperling.com. All the links will be in the show notes for that. Yeah, because if you are a writer, he's got a book for you. If you're just a casual reader, he's got some books for you too. Yeah, nice guy. Nebraskan, but we won't hold that against him. Jody J. Sperling. is a total shit show it's unbelievable how hard it is to get somebody to leave a review you're like hey listen all you have to do is be like i read this book and i enjoyed it and that that review helps algorithms so much but no matter how many people you tell that to they're like oh yeah no your book was great i'm like literally just copy and paste that and put it in a review and they're like i'll do it i'll definitely do it i'll get to it (laughs) they sent you the link i told you what to do and you will not leave the review come on dad I'm playing for you, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I left your book before I finished it. I didn't want to finish it today because I wanted to talk to you. And then I wanted to finish it because I don't like, I've done this once before where I interviewed somebody after I read the entire book. And then the whole time I was sitting there going like, okay, well, I can't ask about this and I can't say, well, how did you connect this? Because then that would ruin it for the reader. So I stopped like just (laughs) sort of, I can't remember. I think 70 between 75 and 80% of the book. Yeah. So where I stopped is where she's um, Luke is just getting out of the hospital and is kind of starting to piece things together in a way that she hadn't before. Mm. So I can say that I don't think that's a big spoiler. No, it's not. Yeah. When people get there, they'll be like, Oh, okay. I know exactly what part of the book he's talking about, but yes. um, yeah, let's get into talking about the book.
it's the nine oh. lives of Marva DeLonghi. Yes, sir. And are there nine parts to the book? Yeah, there are nine parts. Yep. Okay. Because I've got the ebook, so I haven't been able to like flip easily and look at everything right. the way that I normally do with a book, <laughs> a paperback. Yeah. Um, yeah. So each each part then is a life. Yes. Each part is a life. Okay. Um, how much of the book do you figure out before you even start writing or are you, I know we've talked about this before, but let's go over it again for yeah. people that haven't, haven't heard your, your take on how you do it. Yep. Uh, do you try to kind of outline a, a big picture of what the whole book looks like, or are you kind of a write as you guy, write as you go guy? Before uh, the work that I'm doing right now, I've always been, I hate the term pantser. I wish it could be eliminated from everybody's <laughs> brain. But because it's so many writers will know that term, that's what I do um, yeah. or, or have done for all of my life is I Ooh. write the book. Um, as I got to say this real quick. I, I just got to say real quick for anybody who's like, does he not know what that word is? Because I've talked to a bunch of writers and I never use it for the same reason as you. I don't like it. So I just say, do you write as you go? Yeah, yeah I'm yes. a pantser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, well, good. Maybe we can start a movement together to find it like a more appropriate term. Uh, because plotter sounds fine. Like, I mean, unless you, unless you hear it as P L O D D E R and um, <laughs> then you're not a hard way. I'm just a plotter. <laughs> I can get along as I do. Uh, but that sounds fine. But pantser sounds like you've got an incontinence issue. It kind of does. You're right. Like, <laughs> Oh gosh, we got Mr. Sperling over here. He's a total pantser. Watch this guy. You're going to have to change him twice. Exactly. Well, and also, I bet you, because we're close to the same age, that when we were growing up in school, somebody came and pantsed you. That was a totally different thing. <laughs> you know, I, I got pants a couple times and it is humiliating. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, though. So I guess. <laughs> oh, man, that reminds me of a time I was a junior in high school and my friend who was a senior, his name was Todd. We were playing uh, shirts and skins basketball and he was on the shirts team. <laughs> And while he was waiting for a rebound, somebody pantsed him and he didn't have any underwear on. And it was a co-ed gym class. <laughs> You're like, he switched team to skins, but he went all the way. <laughs> the good news for Todd was he's he's one of those guys who wouldn't be embarrassed if people saw him fully nude. Oh, so wow. it didn't phase him like it would have most people. But still, yeah. like just to all of a sudden, like somebody's going up for a rebound. And then, oh, my God, there's a naked guy. <laughs> That's so, so amazing. Yeah, that's it's humiliating. There's so many stories I have about, uh, you know, that time pantsing, in my life. I was pantsing I was really or grabbing a guy while he's taking a pee in a urinal and just shaking him by his hips and they get <laughs> pee all over the place. Yep. Yep. I was usually on the receiving end of too many things. I, I was a real shy kind of nerdy loser. So maybe I still am, but I, uh, I wear my hats backwards and stuff to kind of look cool on the outside. But you're tall. All you got to do is like make a fist and people be like, oh, watch out for that guy. I found out uh, in after the fact for both uh, undergrad and grad school that the majority of classmates were intimidated by me because I was quiet. But when I did speak, it took such an effort for me that I wanted to know I was saying something that added to the conversation. So I had this reputation of being like this real smart, quiet, intimidating character. Mm. Um, I think that's funny about being a shy person or really leaning into believing that you're an introvert. I think that introvert thing is real. Like I am an introvert, but also it doesn't mean you have an excuse to not talk to people. And I, mm. I think you don't, you don't realize how much of your own world you're creating 
when you're introverted like that, when you refuse to engage with people and just be kind, I guess. Anyways, way off subject. Sorry. We were saying you you are not a plotter or a plotter, but more of nope, a uh, right. go where go where the winds take you on the day that you sit yep. down to write. That's right. Up to up to the nine lives of Marvin Long High, I had never plotted anything in my life. I didn't know how to. High school outlines were like you do Roman numeral one, big letter A, you know those kind of things, and like work your way down. And I was like, I, my brain organizationally does not think that way. Those were always really hard for me. And so I thought of outlines as being intimidating and kind of pointless. Because I was like, if I create this outline, it's going to ruin the surprise for me, and I won't enjoy the writing process. Uh, and it took me. Part of this is because because of the the way that I wrote the novel. Part of this is because I think technically I wrote like four books to get the nine lives of Marvin Long High. They were all the same book, but not the right book. Yeah. Uh, and that that is true. So where some people will be like, hey, the first four books you write are really crappy. I think that's true. And I think that happened. It's just that in my mind, I only wrote one book. I just did it five different times Yeah. Um, to get the story I wanted. That makes huh. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then knowing that you're not a, I've already got the end in mind. I just got to write to it. What was that first nugget of the nine lives of Margaret Delonghi in your brain where you're like, ooh, this could be interesting? What was what was the story as far as you saw it? It's hard to remember back to when I when I visualized the repeating lives. Uh there's a word I can't think of right now, but and motif. Uh, but so the book started as I always want, and there is, I think for people who are really into it, there's a lot of political commentary. There's a lot of social commentary in the book. Um, that's just kind of how I engage with the world. I like to use novels to think about my existence and, and where I fit. Um, and so there's a lot of that commentary. But the first thing I was thinking about was um, this thing that was like a, a version of an Africanized bee. There was an Africanized lice instead that only infected the heads of women um, and Lyle. Uh, who is Luke's partner in the book, was the main character. So I wrote this whole draft of a book where they were kind of searching for this um, medical thing. And it was fine, but it wasn't good. And uh, But I really liked Luke. And I learned pretty quickly that she was a fun character, had a lot to say. And I remembered back to a friend I had in undergrad named Justin Carter. Shout out to you, Justin. You're a great musician and a hell of a writer. So I hope that you are still doing stuff. But um, he challenged me in college, he said, dude, you're such an outspoken Christian. You have this really strong worldview. Why don't you ever try to write a character who believes the exact opposite of what you do? And I I had kept that rattling around in my brain. I never really even attempted it until I got to this point where I couldn't get a literary agent. I couldn't get noticed. I couldn't get published. I just was stuck. And I thought, I'm going to write a commercial book because I've never tried to write anything commercial. And I'm going to write it from the perspective of someone who's the exact opposite of me. So it's going to be a woman who's a feminist, which I mean, let's sidebar that. That was the opposite of who I was at that time. A woman who's a feminist who hates God, organized religion, um, and is really brash and all of that kind of stuff. Hmm. And so that came Luke deeply. 
And then yeah, don't call me sweetie and don't call other women bitches, that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She's very outspoken about, about those kind of things. And, and, you know, she's a strong female character that taught me a lot about women, which is really interesting because the whole conversation now about own voices and not being allowed to write outside of your own experience is crazy Mm. because I understand my wife better. I understand women better by wrestling with Luke, uh, as, as a woman and kind of understanding the things that she would value. So I know this is a long roundabout way to describe what happened, but I needed a way that I could show really, really how strong she was uh, and yet have her be kind of like the reckless bull in a china shop kind of character because that's who I loved. And the repeating life thing came to me that way, not actually thinking about Groundhog Day, but almost as soon as I had her die the first time, which I'd prefer to save that somewhat as a, a, a not a spoiler for people because that first death should rock you. If it doesn't, I'm not doing my job. Yeah, that was pretty um, intense. That was the one with Nelly, right? Yeah, that's the one with Nelly. Yeah, Nelly's intense. Yeah. Nelly is quite intense. And so I want that to hit the reader and the reader to have to make a choice like, can I even carry on with this book? Yeah. Uh, I will I will spoil by saying nothing gets that intense again. Like that is that is by far the most like uh clashing moment of the book. And it's really yeah. intentional. But when I had that It's like happen, a roller coaster that starts with the big hill. And yes, then correct. does the loop de loops and the hard turns after that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I hope that I hope that works. I don't know that there's a lot of other novels that work that way. So maybe we'll see what happens. But um yeah, after that first death, I was like, this has to happen. This this death was inevitable. She had Luke had to die, and there needs to be a justification for what's going on. And so the rest of the novel came forth out of that. And it actually mm. went quite quickly after I got to that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really That's... enjoyed. Process. That's fun. Like I've 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 done the same thing with books where um well, a book, but done the same thing with stories too where you start writing something and actually the book switches. Not the first novel that I ever attempted to write or mostly wrote, but it was the first one where I was like, "Oh, this is actually good. I'm going to do a second draft." But yeah. it started with a short story that had all the uh main male characters and it was a short story and one of them commits suicide and then spends most of the story like contemplating his life in the immediate afterlife. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, well this is all getting kind of convoluted and stupid, but I like these characters. And so I just kept working those characters in different stories until something stuck. Kind of like, kind of like you said, you'll write something, get to a point where you're like, Nope, rewrite it, get to a point where you're like, Nope, rewrite it. I didn't realize that that's what I was doing with switchers, but that's in a sense what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting now that you mention that, too. I don't think I even consciously picked up on this, but you and I both played with that same motif of like death and death and real life, because mm-hmm. um, that's a lot what switchers is. I mean, you're switching back and forth between, you know, your adult and your childhood self. It's it's so similar. It's eerie now that I'm kind of connecting those two things. There's something yeah. weird that happens. Think about uh, the role that, that death has in clarifying what, what life is. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because when you read... When you read almost any two novels, if you've got a really firmly fixed concept in your mind, you see that in everything too. And you're like, oh, you know what? This is kind of like that other book in the sense that even though a completely outside observer would look at the two books and be like, I don't see any similarities, you know what I mean? Which is a really good way of you saying our books are nothing alike. And I do technically agree, but I still will stand by thinking that the theme is somewhat similar. Well, yeah, yours is... Your story, without giving away too much, just a little bit of a side-by-side comparison, mine is like, 
obviously things are messed up from the start and everybody knows it. Whereas yours is like, things are weird from the start, but then they just get weirder, but only one person understands it and everyone else just looks at them like they're insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which is a really fun thing to play with as well. It's really, uh, insanity is insanity is an amazing concept for, for a writer because you can play with it. Well, what if they're saying and everybody else just doesn't see what they see? I love that. I love that. you remember that movie? Um, I, well, is it called a, a no? Oh my gosh, with Russell Crowe, A Beautiful Mind. I was going to say yeah. a Beautiful Life, that totally different movie. A Beautiful Mind. I I would have liked that better if they had allowed it to be fictionalized, and he actually wasn't crazy. I was <laughs> so into it until the moment after the, the the shed. He goes out and he's working through all these concepts in his storage shed, and yeah. I was like, if at this moment he's actually right, I would have dug that movie so hard. But when you find out he is actually crazy, you're kind of like, well, that's a bummer. Yeah. Crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. And then it could have turned into a Stephen King novel and he like tries to go back totally. and s- stop Einstein from being born so they can't make the nuclear bomb. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, man. 20, uh, 11, 22, 63 is a great, great novel. Yeah. That's one I've got to get to. I've heard so many. I, I've actually heard a few people say that it's their favorite one of his. Um, yeah. It's up there for me, for sure. Do you have a favorite King book? Or does it kind of vary? Like, what is it right now if you had to pick? Oh, good question. Um, I think it's Pet Cemetery, but it's so damn close. It's really yeah, tough yeah, to Pet say. Pet Cemetery is good. It's, yeah. That, you know what? If, if you do a book where uh, it ends dismally, but you do it right, I think it's, it's super, super satisfying. It's oh, yeah. hard to do. Right. I've done it wrong a couple of times, in my humble opinion. But that one, you just named. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Uh, and there's something to it works, I think, best with horror because the whole point with horror is like not even to necessarily be scared, just to be like deeply unsettled is to, Thank you for- to, to, to have that ending that doesn't make you comfortable, but makes you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now what? Ah, like and you're just as panicked as you were before. <laughs> yes. yes. Even even with a sense of closure, air quotes on the closure. I'm sure somebody said it before you, but you you nailed it in a way that I just haven't heard before. Horror isn't necessarily about scaring you. It's this sense of deeply unsettled. Uh, I've never read a Stephen King book where I was, well, not never. There's one one time. And in fact, it's a book that's not even scary. Lizzie's story. Um, I was alone in a hotel in Massachusetts for work. And I was reading Lizzie's story. And in the background, because I was alone in the hotel, I was playing the Beatles' White Album. And there was something about the combination of the White Album and Lizzie's story. And when the the main character slips into that other world. I was terrified that night. Like I had to put the book away because it was something so scary about it. But typically when I read him, I'm not scared, but yeah, that deeply unsettled feeling um, is, is what draws me to him so much. Yeah. Yeah. I got that same feeling from, I think the book of his that scared me the most. Actually, I don't even know if I finished it was uh, no, not Dolores Claiborne. Um, uh, the the one about the nurse. Uh, Oh, yes. Um, oh, my gosh. We call ourselves Stephen King fans. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. It'll come to me here in a Misery. Second. Misery. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that book was aptly titled. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it was. Who, um, by the way, that's two books. We're not having a Stephen King podcast here, but that's two books where a main character is trapped in bed for most of the time. Because the partner book to mm. Dolores Clayburn is also the woman is is handcuffed to that bed. And, yeah. uh 
yeah so he just likes he likes making claustrophobic scenarios and i would have such a hard time writing a book like that uh, i i like to jump around in setting and scenery it helps me keep the action higher or yeah. more intense yeah well i think what even bothered me more about the the book misery was while i was reading that i had read something about stephen king commenting on that book and he said oh that book was 100% the personification of cocaine yes i do remember hearing that and I was just like, oh, my God. So he was he was exposing his internal struggle externally. And that's what he yeah. was going through, what he was going through on the inside. That's that's dark. Yeah. OK, so this is I would like to say this because I've actually been looking for a public place to air this grievance. Um, and I'm <laughs> outing. But uh, Joe Rogan has said multiple times in the last couple of months on his podcast that that Stephen King was a far superior author when he was on drugs. And I just want to I want to contradict that because for one, he didn't start out on drugs. He started out a drinker, but most of us are drinkers. Yeah. I'm a fairly heavy drinker, but um, he was only on like Coke and the heavier stuff in the kind of early middle of his career. And I don't think that his best writing was during that. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that he's written some brilliant work post drugs and pre drugs. I, I still think, and I don't know if I've heard anybody else say this, but I would argue that his book revival, which is one of his more recent ones, you know, Oh, I love that book. I would argue that that might be his best book. It's a good book. You are, you are absolutely right. Now I might be mixing up the title, but that's the one with the electricity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the pastor who basically loses his mind to reach into the afterlife to see his wife and kid who died in a drunken yes. car crash. Yes. Phenomenal. Yeah. It talks about religion. It talks about power. It talks about addiction. Yes. Love. Yeah. Yeah. It's a deep book. Okay. I want to ask you a question. I'm curious about, uh, in switchers, I would say the one thing that, that is not at least present to me in my memory is like a love interest. Um, it was really small. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it was, it's not, it's not like it was the main character, Kurt, and then Elizabeth, the girl that wears the flowery dress. And like at yep. the very end of the book, spoiler alert, don't listen to this if you don't want the spoiler. At the end of the book, she like kisses him just a little bit. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. That's and that's just, yeah. So that, that fits my memory. I was thinking like I'm thinking about this this like deep sense of love. Uh and I'm curious about your your feelings about love because I found the more that I read, the more I realize when an author has a love interest in the book, it creates a, like a locked in focus for me. Um, mm. Do you ever notice that self at all? Yeah. Well, and especially going back to like a Stephen King book, you know, that if, uh, if they're in love, but they have sex, she's going to die. <laughs> if they're in love, but they don't have yeah. sex, then she might live. It's kind of like the uh, yeah. Shakespeare, if they get married and then the, and then it continues. It's a drama. It's a drama or a tragedy. Yeah. If they get married in the last act, then it's a comedy. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I like it. I don't know what it is. I, I wouldn't have known that about myself. I always had a hard time writing about love. Uh, I have a really hard time for for as much as I love writing. I have a really hard time writing words to my wife about the way I feel about her. Um, maybe it's addressing it like direct on. That well, is you're so kind of like you're kind of like Lyle when he dies. Spoiler alert. Do not listen if you do not want to spoil it. But it's kind of like when Lyle says something very beautiful, one of the times that he's dying, um, yeah, uses his last dying breath to say something nice when usually he's very, you know, jokily condescending. 
in between bites of eating stuff. Yeah. Why does Lyle have to eat stuff constantly? I was transfixed by that immediately. Yeah. He's always pulling something random out of his pocket or grabbing something out of a fridge. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things, and this actually came from, I had him eating quite a bit, but I dialed it up to like 500 after talking with my agent. She she picked <laughs> up the book. Um, and like the one big thing about this book, she's like, I love it but I'm having a hard time figuring out how to pitch it because when you first run into magic in this book, you're already close to a hundred pages in. Um, and she's like, that's a, that's a pretty big moment that if you're not grounded, that there's magic here, it's a little unsettling. Mm. So I thought about different ways that I could create magic. Uh, Luke had always been drinking quite a bit of bourbon. She'd always been smoking quite a bit, but I turned up the, the intensity on all three of those behaviors a ton. Like I mentioned Luke smoking so many cigarettes. If you count the number of cigarettes smoked in the book, it's like a, probably uh, an ad for RJ Reynolds or something. Yeah. Um, and at one point and, she can't have a cigarette and she's like, if I even smell cigarettes on a person, I might lick their clothes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which also, I mean, that does like Stephen King's always writing about addiction because he had addiction. I'm a former smoker. I smoked for close to 20 years. So I do recognize that like the smell of fresh cigarettes to me is still something oh, so, so tantalizing. Um, yeah. I don't like the smell smoke on people's clothes. So that probably is a little of me leaking into the character. But yeah, Lyle, I just I had so much fun with that. I was like, how far can I stretch people's credulity? Like, I think that there's one point he eats a whole fried chicken. He just pulls it out of nowhere. And you're like, where the hell was he storing a fried chicken? Like the whole thing, <laughs> you know? So I just, I, I had so much fun with that. Yeah. Yeah. And he uses the food to point at people. Hey, and he's like pointing at people with a ham and cheese sandwich. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So that like having that food there, I think you have to accept. And I've, I've had plenty of people read it and comment and not get to the first, the first death. And, and they're like, uh, I keep, this guy's like, it's impossible that he can eat that much. And I'm like, that's the point. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes him fun. That and his, uh, like just his verbal tics, the way he'll say something as a question with, huh? Even though it's not a question, he'll just like, it's an accusing yeah. thing. Like, Hey, why don't you try to ruin yeah. my day? Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. He, uh, he says, huh? A lot. That's, I, I kind of thought about different drinking games that you could play while you're reading this book. <laughs> People would get through like <laughs> chapter two and just be like blacked out. <laughs> yeah. Every time Lyle gets a new, new food out, you have to take a drink. Every time he says, huh, you have to take a drink. Yeah, every, exactly. every time he says something demeaning to Luke, you have to take a drink. Yeah. That's another thing I enjoy. Um, I, I, so um, gender roles, and I had a friend, JP, that I went to uh, grad school with, which, by the way, just for anybody listening, I only differentiate because, you know, they're two different schools. If you don't have a grad degree, you're better than me because I was stupid enough to pay a ton of money for something that <laughs> did not <laughs> my writing career chops. Um, but JP is a really good friend of mine that I met at grad school. And he and I used to talk about gender roles all the time because while I am, I think, in expanding my understanding of women's ability to do anything and everything that men can, I still think that there's something uh, that, that we should embrace that is uniquely different about men and women. That's something that's important to me. I'm, I don't mind being recorded saying that. I'm not exactly sure what those things are. 
from a, from a physiological standpoint, I know that it's easier for me to build muscle than it is for a woman. Uh, I know that women need more body fat on them. Um, they can give birth. I cannot. So like physiologically, I think I see some of those things, but I think it might play out in the way that we meet the world. And I don't know what that is, but it's something that fascinates me. And I play with that a ton between Luke and Lyle. Sometimes I think you can almost be sympathetic of his very sexist comments. Um, and yeah, I think Luke really stands like true in what she says. I don't think yeah. that she's ever, uh, quote unquote, toxic in her femininity. Uh, I think it's really real. Yeah. Yeah. Even when she's thinking like, what a bitch. She's like, ah, I just don't like saying <laughs> it though. Exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there are parts, uh, like you've mentioned, the first death is like, that's the big hill on the ride. Once you get over that, then you can, you know, mm -hmm. emotionally, viscerally handle the other stuff. Um, yeah. But that scene with, uh, with Nelly talks about a lot of things that are very illegal and frowned upon in society um <laughs> yeah just writing yeah. that kind of stuff do you feel i don't know i don't know what the what the way to phrase it is do you feel weird at all when you write that stuff or are you just so mm -hmm. deep into like this is just art man like because when i write weird stuff like that there's a part of me that's like god people are gonna read this it's okay. It's the story. The story needs this. You know what I mean? Like I, I do battle yeah. with writing weird stuff. I do too. Uh, and so no, there's no, there's no part of me that's like so deep in the art that I don't realize what I'm doing. My wife to this day still says, if you'd taken that scene out, or if you had, uh, if you'd softened it or figured it a way around it, you would have gotten the deal you were looking for. And I'm not sure she's wrong. Um, but it wouldn't be the book that it is without it. And, uh, my agent was a woman and she, she was fully bought in. She, she did actually say at one point, like we could think about rewriting it if you want to take one more round. And I said, I was not interested in that. Um, which I guess is a side note. I did get an offer from a small press, but they wanted to publish spring of 2025. And I finally just thought like, I've already been waiting for three years uh, with this agent. It took me right. I know that's the There's state, not even next year, but <laughs> that's the state of trade publishing right now. It's pretty scary is if you're, if you're a nobody, they're going to throw you on the back burner so far that like by the time it comes, I won't even be excited about it anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I felt real weird about writing it and even more so I am selling the, the, the paperback of the book right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And I'll later on give you some codes where you can get it cheaply. But um, I've had people I know that I went to church with 10 years ago who have bought copies of it that I'm going to mail out today uh, after we're done talking. And and we'll see um, if they uh, Holy Ghost you after that. They <laughs> Sorry, will. I, they will. I, straight up. Yeah, I, just talked, I just talked to the naked pastor and his episode is uh, fresh out now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's one of his one of his cartoons was when you leave the church, you get Holy Ghosted. <laughs> so true yeah and I, I do worry about it so anybody who has bought it that i know is real super christiany what i tell them and i think that this is true is that it's a really vulgar book with the main character who's hostile towards uh, all organized religion but at the bottom the theme is like laying your life down for your friend and if that's not super christiany i don't know what theme would be more christiany um greater yeah. love has this that you lay down your life for your friend and that's the book i mean that's that's a spoiler and it's not a spoiler you figure that out pretty quick yeah so. 
Yeah, because we've already established there's multiple deaths. <laughs> Many deaths. At, at this yeah. point, we could be talking about death one, seven, <laughs> four. Yes. Yeah. So or forty five. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, it's a never ending. Uh, you, you're just going to sell the rights, and people will keep writing the thirty seventh life of Marva Delonghe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't know if I'm in for that, but yeah, <laughs> it'll be a James Patterson bookshot. He'll each life will be separately written by you and him, mostly you, but his name will be bigger. Yeah. Hey, man, uh, I'll be a whore for money sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. That's one of those things where if somebody was like, man, would you would you do that? Would you co-write a book with James Patterson? I'd be like, mm. yeah, exactly. I mean, it would pay for the it would pay for my house and probably I could buy a new car and right. just do what I really want to do, at least for a couple of years. So, yeah, I probably would. It's a great on ramp. Exactly. And I think I think the the one thing that anybody who's really serious about making a life in, in the arts if you do get a couple of years to have an on-ramp and you're taken care of, most people p- could make it if they had that time. Yeah. Most. People. Well, that's, there was a guy who made a, made a reel on Instagram and I'm sure it's on TikTok too. Um, that's uh, your favorite actors have rich parents. Your favorite singers have rich parents. Yeah. And it, and it was kind of like that thing, like, you know, I don't more or less, he says, I don't belittle you for having rich parents, but it's easy to focus on your art when you don't ever have to worry about rent. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which, you know, goes back to what you said. If you can find an avenue where maybe you don't feel like, oh, this was the most artistic decision, but it's like, well, you can make a lot of artistic decisions after you make that uh, monetary decision. I think so. Yeah. And I think some of my very favorite writers all do that kind of stuff. Uh, Ray Bradbury is famous for writing a ton of just commercial super commercial type of stuff so that he could write those few artistic books uh like fahrenheit uh, 451 you know i mean he wrote a ton of stuff that you would probably look at and be like oh wow that's like you know way too commercial for my artsy tastes or something but uh, yeah, yeah. like there's so many there's so many artists who do that i think there's musicians who do that as well who, who pump out a novel um haruki murakami are you do you know him mm, oh you know what i've seen that name before 100 I, I haven't read though Actually, look at this. It's Murakami. I'm wearing Murakami right now. That's, uh, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> For all of you folks who don't watch this, even if this is watchable, I'm wearing a, a cat shirt with Haruki Murakami radio on it. Um, he's a Japanese author. He wrote uh, 1Q84. He wrote Norwegian Wood. And that's the one that I'm talking about. He had been putting books out for quite a while and, and hadn't really had any success. He's a jazz like enthusiast and he decided i'm going to write something commercial and try to make my run at it he wrote norwegian wood uh obviously based on the beatles norwegian wood and um it's kind of his take on it and it got him so popular that yeah he's a he's a big deal (laughs) okay so So commercial people okay and and write a book that has a beatles uh song title that does kind of seem like a theme in this conversation doesn't it yeah Last story, Beatles. Actually, somebody uh, somebody else I know, a guy that has a podcast, did an episode of his podcast, and he titled it The Power of Love, and he said that it got like hundreds of hits on Spotify in one day because people were probably searching for the song. 
Yes. You know what? I'm going to steal that. I'm going to take the most popular song titles and title all of my podcast episodes that way. I'll, I'll report back to you and let you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Specifically on Spotify, too. You got you to go where people are getting music. Perfect. Yeah. 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 So that's the hack, people. Go go forth and make podcasts with song lyrics. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to remember. You told me that you had written specifically this book that we're talking about now because you've got several books but this one you wrote it and you know i do air quotes again finished it when okay yeah so i mean um because you've sat on it for a while because you had an agent who was trying to get you you know one of those elusive big five deals i'm sure and then you know yeah so uh, I started it in 2014. The book, the book, uh, first draft, the one I was talking about, with the Africanized Lice, started in 2014. Um, I started subbing it in March of 2019. Annie picked me up um, in April of 2019. Ooh, ooh, uh, can we yeah. expand that just a little bit? Because Greg, you're the first person that I've actually asked this. I've had a couple of people I could have. What was your process in getting an agent like? Was it fairly quick or did that in itself take a year or what? No, that was that was fast. Um, if you only count that book, I had a book called The Stories of Bogey. It was my my thesis for graduate school. I'm so proud of that book. I will I will only publish that book traditionally because it's it's literary fiction. If you've read Carl Ovik Nausgar. It's a lot like his My Struggle books, um, but more fictionalized. Also, Brad Listy, great podcast. Other people, if you're looking for like a literary podcast, he wrote a book called uh, Be Brief and Tell Me Everything. It's hmm. similar to that. Well, it's my own life, but I braid into it Bogey, which uh, I guess Easter egg. Lyle Kapuchnik is a carry in, uh, character in the stories of Bogey. He's Bogey's hmm. childhood best friend. Um, <laughs> so it, it is... Um, part real part fiction but even the fiction part is just borrowing my own life and telling it as childhood stories so it's kind of like switching between the current and the past uh, and giving me a little bit of liberty to make it more fun to read but um, that that is to say i made a a good friend uh, in a gentleman named joe salvatore who came to do a traveling workshop at school and uh he really loved what I was writing and he introduced me to an agent friend of his in New York. And that was in 2014. So that book had been finished for a while or close to finished for a while at that point. Um, Aaron Harris and Aaron did not want the book. And so I shopped it for a little bit longer and I was getting so many notes that I finally just said, if, if it's not good enough for like a warm introduction to get through the door, it needs more work or I need a bigger name. Um, and that's how nine lives came about is from that failure. So from there, I, you could say it took me five years to get an agent, but I didn't shop anything between 2000, probably like early 2015 to when I started shopping in 2019. Um, and when I got Annie, she was literally the second agent that I submitted to, because if you go to, uh, I think it's either agentquery.com or querytracker.com. I can't remember which one. It's one of the two of those. You can alphabetize all of the agencies and then you just click on them and read do they read your kind of thing are they open for submissions xyz she was second on the list um, alphabetically at that point that fit the criteria Uh, i sent out 50 query letters but uh, i i would have only had to send out two so (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like you. I did way more than I had to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and I mean that in a, in a loving way. I understand that. And I, I thank you very much for it. Uh, if, if I can be proud of myself for anything, it's like not taking no for an answer. I say uh, you're nothing if not prepared and tenacious. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, which is which is funny for an introverted guy. Does the fire within overcome the introvertedness or do you just become a different person kind of in your head when you have to go into like time to talk to people, you know, especially when it's, you know, something like the, the book or the podcast, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I don't, I don't talk about this a lot and I'm not necessarily going to say which one of them, but I have a son who has autism and when I watch him move through the world, he is like his behavior is so reminiscent of the way that my own brain works that sometimes I wonder if I was maybe just like on the lower end of the spectrum or something. Like when you talk about obsessions, when you talk about having to like more learned behavior with filters and stuff like that, um, I kind of wonder, uh, I've never got it tested. I have no desire to get it tested, but I do have this ability to kind of compartmentalize my natural self in order to be a different self for this mm. situation. And that feels like a learned behavior. Um, I was, I, I had all sales jobs from the time I got married. And even earlier on, I was in a lot of like uh, retail sales jobs where you, you got, you earned money based on your, your sales, not just a, an hourly wage. And when you do that, you have to be kind to people. You have to be engaging, you have to tell funny stories. And for whatever reason, I've had this ability to just kind of turn off my preferences and be like the gregarious, like, Hey, buy a 2022 Honda Odyssey, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, Check out these sweet features. That's not how you do it, but I'm just sort of, you know, there's yeah, a yeah. way brain to, to do these things, I guess. Um, no, I wanted to see the Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, damn straight you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. weird time of year where it's too uh too hot to wear a hat but too cold to not yeah yeah as soon as you step outside you're like it's cold but then when <laughs> once you're inside yeah. it's greenhouse effect I'm trying to think what more there might be to talk about besides uh well yeah tell people where they can find the book yeah so the i would prefer that everybody buys their books off of www.jodyjsperling.com j-o-d-y j sperling is s-p is in paul e-r-l-i n is in nancy g.com uh, all the books there are cheaper than you can find them anywhere else and the cool thing is because i have my own bookstore i get 97 percent of the profits so uh instead of going through amazon you get the same thing and you can still read it on your kindle uh you can still listen to it on your kindle or your your audible or whatever if it's an audiobook all of those things and uh i did come prepared for this so what i'm pushing harder than anything else is i was able to convince 
the illustrious and most beautiful voice in audiobooks, X.E. Sands. You can look her up if you're interested to read all nine books in the Luke and Time Mysteries. Um, so she's going to have the first two ready for me in June of 2023. So just a few months from now, she'll have those books recorded. And it's expensive. So I am offering right now to offset the payment that I'm going to be paying when the bill comes due in June, $10 for the first two audiobooks. And I will get that code to you, Chris, so that you can offer that to your audience. Cool. You don't get them till June, but if you buy them right now, you get two audiobooks for $10. Um, that's the, the cheapest way that you can get two of those books uh, that, that is available to the average person. And even if you don't listen to audiobooks, XC Sands is such, she's great. She read for Chuck Wendig. Um, she read for, uh, damn, I can't think of his name right now. He's a sci-fi guy. But I mean, some, like fairly big names. I, I, I said, I you had me at Chuck Wendig. I, I'm, right, a, exactly. I'm, a, I'm a Chuck fan. I'm a huge Chuck fan. Chuck Wendig, I love you. <laughs> He's the only heir apparent I can think of to Stephen King, honestly. I've, I've been looking for somebody that captures me the same way, and Chuck does it. He's so good. Um, but so she read for him. That's where I, I think I finally connected. So I thought it was a long shot. I shot an email, or no, actually, I found her on Twitter, and I sent her a message on Twitter. And I said, hey, I, I'm guessing you don't accept indie authors, but uh, I've got this foul-mouthed, female detective character who uh would be perfect for you and i wanted to know would you ever consider reading and so she got together with me we talked for a little while and she's like yeah let me send it over to my my producer and see what we can do um and so that was an amazing unexpected really wonderful thing um but it is pricey like it's it's not like you get somebody great and then they're cheap to work with so um either way i'm doing this i can't afford it but i would love to offset that cost and give away a ton of audiobooks almost free i mean 10 bucks for two audiobooks is ridiculous you can't even get a month of audible for that much so there you go you're crazy jody i'm so, a wild man <laughs> so okay I'll edit this out if I need to, because maybe you don't want to give away everything. But how are you doing the the book printing then? Yeah, no, so that's actually not, I'm not giving anything away. I'm going to be doing an offset run with Maple Press, which I can give you the details for, or anybody who is indie and wants to have like a book that feels like you buy at Barnes & Noble. There's a yeah. press called Maple Press that does offset runs. You do have to print a large number of copies. So uh, per copy, a cost from uh, Maple Press is going to be, and this is a 303-page book, but it's going to be about $2.48. Oh, um, wow. Versus Amazon, which would probably buy. cost close to like 6 bucks, right? My Amazon books right now cost four fifty, uh, five oh seven after shipping. So each copy that I buy from Amazon is five oh seven as an author copy. And that's yeah. what I'm doing right now because, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite ready for the offset printing but to do offset you have to have a, a lot and you need to you need to actually reach out to them and say what is the exact print number because if you're one book short or one book too many your shipping costs astronomically raise and make it much less perfect so the way that offset runs is it does an exact number of books and as long as you do a multiple of that exact number of books then you get this ridiculously cheap shipping cost and print cost if they have to waste a bunch of paper to print one extra book they're going to charge you a ton for it if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. you you shouldn't have a problem, man. I've sold shoot probably close to 150 paperbacks. So yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. you're you're better at selling things than I am. People barely know I exist. I I have to get on. 
I have to find people who have large Twitter accounts and make a splash that way. <laughs> yeah. Off, off, uh, off camera, let's talk about some things that have been working well for me. I still haven't sold a ton of books, but yeah, I've, I've been I've been really like outgoing about trying to reach out to some well, it's TikTokers because like, I'm like I'm not. Gonna... Oh, that's a really good idea, and I got something I can talk to you about that off air too. Um, but keep in yeah. mind too that somebody uh, it was Naked Pastor he was telling me that with his art stuff and with other people talking about their writing specifically, your career is going to be shaped like a hockey stick in that, you know, when you start, it's going to be like a flat line. And then with each thing you do after that, it just. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you listen to my podcast, I'll TRPM, and I would, I would really encourage you to start with my interview with, um, I'm having a horrible time with names right now. I can see her face perfectly. God darn. Well, she, Chris will put it in the show notes because I can't think of her name right now, but she is a trade published author. And basically what she said to me is just write books. The more books you write, like you become uh, a force. And Wait, you was, write that, four was that Libby? Uh... Thank you, Libby Grant. Thank you. Libby God Grant. dang there you go. My brain is really busted right now. Yeah, Libby Grant. I would point anybody to that episode because I got some feedback that people were like, I didn't really like all of her like artsy fartsy stuff. And I was like, give me a break. She's as like hardcore sales as it gets. And I loved yeah. her message. She changed, she changed the way I thought about book marketing. Yeah. I listened to that one and I, I think I was one of the people that was like, mm, I don't, I don't love every part of her message, but you can't deny that she's killing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's true. I wonder, I wonder if you and I dug into it or the other people who listened and felt the same way, if, if it comes down to the fact that you might not love the way that I think about it either. Cause there is part of me that's sort of mercenary for the money. Like I'll do well, things that I love. I think, and I talk about this on the podcast with a lot of people might as well talk about it with you too, is there's this inner push to be an artist and don't compromise. You know what I mean? But then there's also the world of where people make money and if you've got to find the balance between the two. Yeah. And so when I, when I heard her talk, I was like, man, this is just, it sounds so business-like and so yeah. like calculated that it made me kind of forget some of the joy part of like why I do it in the first place. But you know, even if yeah. that's how you feel listening to her, maybe that's not how she feels. And also when you're yeah. listening to stuff like that, you can take what's good and apply that to yourself and you don't have to take every part of it what works for you. Yeah, yeah. And so I will, I will um, kind of summarize her, her message, what stuck with me. And it might be the only part because other people maybe heard different things than I did. She said, I get to wake up in the morning, right for five and a half hours. And the rest of the day I can smoke pot, sit out and watch the beach and read books. And I was like, that's the life I should have had. I don't yeah. need to, I don't work 30 hours every day, um, which has been my mentality for my entire life as a, as a, uh, a Christian person who was raised in the church that like hard work is, is next to godliness or something like i yeah. thought if i work harder than every longer than everybody that's what gives me value as a human being and hearing her say that like i don't even like smoking pot but i would absolutely love to have uh five hours of hard work and the rest of the day is mine and and, and work that i love by the way like i love writing so yeah well someday it's going to be you and me we'll sit down we'll write for five and a half hours and then i'll smoke a joint you'll drink a beer and we'll talk and just hang out yeah i'm straight <laughs> i look forward yeah. to it <laughs> Awesome, man. That, what a good place to end. Me and Jody sitting on a beach writing, getting stoned, him getting a buzz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Absolutely. That's, that's a fun place for me to end anyway. All right. Well, Jody, yep. uh, don't leave. I'm going to end this recording. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I uh, 
I appreciate you as a guest and as a friend and uh, as, now as a writer too. I didn't, I honestly had no idea if it was going to be any good. And then I'd have to look at you and be like, uh, yeah, man, I like it, but I actually do really like the book and I'm going to go finish it today. Thank you, sir. I don't say that enough to people when I meet them. Cause I think part of me is like, whoa, man, be cool. Be cool. Don't, don't be uh, like, Oh my God, I, I love your book so much. How'd you do that? But at the same time, you yeah. know, be like, yeah, man, I really liked your book. And I did. So thank you. I want to make sure thank that I, I, that doesn't escape uh, the conversation here that you, you did write a really good book that I did enjoy and uh, we'll continue to enjoy later. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right, everybody. That was Jody J. Sperling, author of The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi, a book that I just finished and I love it. I highly recommend it. And I also recommend you check out his podcast, TRBM. I've been on there a couple times, um, but you don't have to listen to more of me if you don't want to. Check out Jody. Listen to his podcast, TRBM. Go out and check out The Nine Lives of Mar- Marva DeLonghi. I always want to say Margaret. I don't know why. And uh, check him out at JodyJSperling.com. I'll put all the links for everything in the notes. Thank you all so much for stopping by. I really appreciate you. Stop by Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and hit me up at Talon Rights, please. Damn it. All right, guys. Love you. See you next time. Mwah.